Amen. Come on, let's pray, y'all. Father, we again thank you for your work that continues to go around the world. Thank you for the chins. Thank you for the opportunities and partnerships. I never would have imagined, Lord, that by our initial support of this wonderful couple, you would just spread the gospel as you have throughout the entire continent. If you had told me that, I wouldn't have believed it, but thank you so much. And so, God, for whatever you're going to do, do it even today. Encourage somebody to write that name down, that email down. Who knows what you have in mind? Lord, bless us now as we share in your word. Speak to our hearts as we discover the hidden meaning of Christmas in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, 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 amen. Our series, again, is the hidden meaning of Christmas. And I I use that phrase purposefully because I do believe we're in a season where the commercialized Christmas is overshadowing the true Christmas. It's becoming more festive rather than faith. And, and, and our goal is to really help us capture what God had in mind, what Jesus did, or what he's continuing to do, even in this Advent season. And as I said time and time again, Advent is an event that happened in history, but it's an experience that we can engage every single day. Amen? Old folk were right when they say he walks with me, he talks with me, he tells me that I am his own. That is the Christian faith. That's who we serve. We don't jump through religious hoops. Hopefully we can appease a God. No, we have a God that loves us unconditionally and that is engaged in our lives. And so I want to invite your attention this morning to our meditation text, which is found, um, if I can get to it, give me a second. Uh, Hebrews um, chapter 2, verse 17, New Living Translation. Here's how it reads. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters. Tell your neighbor, he's just like us. Yes, he is. He's just like us. Our main text, Matthew 2, 22 and 23, NIV version. Here's how it reads. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, Archelaus was the son of Herod the Great that tried to kill Jesus when he killed all the children in Bethlehem. This is his son that's reigning now. Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod. He was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So it was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, plural, that he would be called a Nazarene, a Nazarene. I want to talk about today the hidden truth of Christmas, the hidden truth of Christmas. And so my wife has the green thumb in the family. I myself, I have the kiss of death. Somebody say amen. Matter of fact, when my wife goes out of town, as she went out of town with this last trip to Ghana, you can hear the plants in our house shrieking, don't leave us with him. He's going to kill us. Kid you not. Matter of fact, my wife says, just keep them alive. Just keep them alive. I don't need you to do anything else. Just, just keep them alive. And that was my goal. And I thought I was doing pretty well <clears throat> until one day I didn't realize that I actually forgot to open the blinds on one particular plant to give it sunlight. And then when I saw it, sunlight, and when I came and saw it that evening, it was clear it hadn't gotten light. I said, oh, Lord, I'm going to endure the wrath of Lisa on this one. And so I made a point to, to make sure that I opened the blinds for this plant. And after two days, I was really stunned 
by how quickly this drooping plant, because I failed to open the blinds, had begun to liven up with life. It was like it was green again. In a moment, I was, I was completely stunned. My wife came home. She didn't know anything about it. She's finding out now. Amen. It almost died. It almost died. And she looked at it. Oh, you did so well. You kept them alive. I said, only if you knew how. But I really was struck. I was really struck by the fact that the light gave the plant so much life. And in a word, my thesis, that's why Jesus came, y'all. That's who God is. Doesn't come to take. Comes to give life. He comes to liven us up. He comes with his light that gives us life to thrive in dark places and to thrive through even the darkest experiences. Jesus gives us light. And he gives us light in a way that God roots us on as our loudest fan as we run in the light. We, we've heard, we've heard the scripture, I came that you might have what? Life and have it more abundantly. The Christmas season is about a God of life. And with life, he does that through light. He gives us life. Too many Christians think that eternal life is something that happens when we die. But if you've ever met Jesus for yourself, eternal life begins the day you meet Jesus. Your life is changed forever because God comes into our lives to give us life. Or to put it another way, I, I, I don't understand how so many Christians that can say they love a God of life sometimes live a lifestyle of death. Some people can, some Christians can be so harsh with how they talk and treat people. Some Christians can be so judgmental and hypocritical. And one I will never understand a God that came to give us eternal life, how can Christians be so quick to send somebody to hell? I just never understood that. That's not a God of life. That's a God of death. But Jesus came to give us life, life for ourselves, that we have hope in this broken world, life for our families, that we might have the relationships that he wants us to have, life even for our dreams, Dreams we heard from the chins today that makes a difference in this world. Not just to bless us, but that the blessing can be carried on to many others. Life for our help. Life in every possible way. That's why he came to be like us, y'all, that we might have life. It's not an accident that most of the miracles that Jesus performed was healing people of sickness and ailment. He didn't come with military he could have. He could have came with great power and angels to wipe this thing. No, he wants us to know he's a God of life. Matter of fact, when Jesus says, I am living water, it's, it's really a hyperlink back to the Garden of Eden, where the garden really has the idea of being placed in the desert, but there's, there's rivers that flow through the garden, and those rivers give life to the desert. And Jesus says, just like water gives life and causes a desert place to flourish, I come to give you life. And that's the message we as Christians need to get for Christmas. That's the message our families need to get. That's the message that our co-workers and, and even our enemies, God is not against you. No, God comes to give us life. God comes to liven us up. Just like 
under the tyrannical rule of Terence's hand, that plant almost died. God has a way of coming in to give us life. I'm trying to preach this today. So what I want to do today, I just want to share four, four experiences in which Jesus comes in to give us life. Doesn't come to take away. Doesn't come to hinder us. And many times that's the, the message people get with Christianity. Somehow God's trying to straightjacket you. God's trying to take something from you. No, God's trying to give life to you. God doesn't need anything you have. Can I say it like grandma? I'm a cat on a thousand hills and the hills too. It's nothing I have to give to God, but everything that he has, he wants to give to us because he comes to give us life that we may experience it from the beginning, what he intended. And so just a few things very quickly. Uh, number one, he comes to give life in the midst of loss. Jesus knows loss, but when he comes, he comes giving life even in the midst and the challenges of loss. The framing of our text that I read to you uh, comes on the heels of the story of King Herod, who was the ruling monarch that we just mentioned in the early reading. And here he, he attempts to take the life of Jesus. He was, he was fooled as to where, of the whereabouts of where Jesus was, and so he wants to take Jesus out. And what does he do? He says, I'm going to kill every child under two years old in the city of Bethlehem. And, and with savagery and this horrific uh, approach to try to kill Jesus, Herod tries to take Jesus out. But how many of y'all know God is always one step ahead of the devil himself? Amen. And the Bible says in this text that, that God warned Joseph in a dream and, and they were able to flee the evil that was upon him. But the word here that needs to be taken away is that Jesus knows loss. And Matthew tries to capture the, the significance of the grief and the mourning with a quote from Jeremiah where he says in verse 17, a cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted because Jesus knows loss. He's been in loss. He's experienced loss. And if the parents experience loss, how many of y'all know it affects the children too? And that is our world in some sense, isn't it? The losses that we're seeing, so much loss, whether it's disease or violence. The little girl that was killed over in Fort Worth, that community is going through the loss. The, the trial of Tatiana and the family having to relive that loss. We, we live in a world of loss. Jesus is not oblivious to the world we live in. And, and the word that he gives to us that in every single loss, hear me today, there's always a turning point. There's always a turning point. No, it may not turn the way you want it to turn, but God has a way of turning it in a way in which he brings you through and where you thought you couldn't stand, you come out stronger, you come out better, you come out living with life on you. There's always a turning point in every loss. And, and that's what Matthew is trying to hit at here because the listeners of this text would have immediately connected the, the, the dastardly deed of Herod to try to kill the children with what happened in Exodus chapter 1 when Moses was also about to be born and the Pharaoh at that time wanted to kill Moses and in an effort to kill Moses, I'm going to kill all the children under a certain age. But what 
Pharaoh didn't understand and what Herod didn't understand, there was a greater power that while you were trying to kill the children, God was raising somebody up to bring the people out of bondage, to bring them out of deliverance. And just as Moses would bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, God would raise up Jesus, a new moral, a new Moses, to confront this Pharaoh to bring out a whole people that would follow him. It was a turning point. And my point is that no matter where you are in life in your loss, not only does Jesus know your loss and know what you're going through, there's always a turning point. And as I was writing this this week, the first thing that God brought to mind was my own experience with my eyes. Many of you all know that I've had numerous surgeries, cornea transplants, and different uh, medical mechanisms put in my eyes so that I can get sight. And, and the reason was I had a surgery that I shouldn't have had. It's called RK. It's actually out of date now. They don't even use that procedure anymore. But at the time, they would just simply cut on your eyes. Now they use laser and other techniques in order to give you better sight. But back then, they would cut on your eyes. Well, I was one of the one in a million that you shouldn't cut on because my skin keloids and my eye keloid, in which gave me a vision of 2,800 in both eyes. That's legally blind, y'all. And cornea transplants at the time were fairly new. It wasn't something that they do as prolifically today, but it was rather new. And so I'll be honest with you, I was anxious. I was a little bit hesitant. I wasn't sure about this. But as, as I got further into the condition, it was clear that I was going to lose my sight. And I had to make a decision. I never shall forget as long as I live. had an opportunity to preach for my good friend Galen Clark down in Austin. And I preached down there and I shared with that congregation my, my fears and what I was, I was scared of. But I knew God was with me. And after I preached, a man came up to me with tears in his eyes. And he told me, he says, Pastor Archery, you ain't got to worry because I know God is with you. Because I also had two cornea transplants. And they told me that I would not be able to see, but I can tell you right now, I can see. And if God was with me, y'all don't hear me today. God is surely with you. What am I trying to say? I'm not trying to say that everything in terms of my eyes have been a real big road, but for that moment, that was my turning point. That's when my faith got stronger. That's when I began to believe that even though I may have to carry this burden for a little while, I would have sight. All I'm simply trying to say, God has a turning point for your worst loss. God has a place that even though the devil tries to take you out, there's a turning point to make life better. He comes to give Life gives life where there is loss, but then he gives life just trying to live day to day. Anybody know just to make it day to day? Jesus knows how to give us life when all we're trying to do is simply make it. That's what I see in this text. Uh, from the moment that Jesus entered the lives of Joseph and Mary, you would think that things would go better. <laughs> But things went from bad to worse, like some of us. <laughs> Since the day you met Jesus, it seems like things didn't get better. They simply got worse. Amen? Well, you're not by yourself. That's what happened with Joseph and Mary. And if you look at verses 19 to 21, time and time again, they're constantly moving from place to place. From the moment that Mary even gets word that she's pregnant with our Savior, she runs to Elizabeth, spends time with her. Then she runs from Elizabeth to Joseph. 
to make sure he doesn't hear it through the grapevine or on the internet on blast to know that she's pregnant. And then from there, they travel to Bethlehem, and she's nine-month pregnant. And y'all, let me tell you right now, I've ridden from Nazareth to Bethlehem on a bus, and it's still a long trip. I ain't walking it. Amen. I ain't walking it. She walked nine months pregnant. I'm going to say this again. She walked hills and valleys nine months pregnant from Nazareth to Bethlehem and then she came back from Bethlehem to Nazareth and then this fool Herod tried to kill Jesus they had to flee all the way to Egypt they spent some time in Egypt then they came back to Israel couldn't go back to their hometown Nazareth because now the son has some vengeance he's on the throne but then when God settled that down finally they got back to from the moment they got Jesus in their life it went from bad to worse and sometimes that's how we feel I thought with Jesus on my side it would get better but the truth is sometimes it goes from bad to worse and really it's a word about this our face shines brighter in dark places I know that's a little tough, but, but that's what God does. It's not that God is against us. A lot of times when things don't go our way or things don't go the way we think they should, we think that God is against us. No, it could very well be that there's such a great witness in your life. There's such a great testimony in life. There's such a great move in your life that God says, no, I can't put this all in light. No, I'm going to place it in the midst of darkness. So folk will look at you and say, how in the world did you make it through? I'll tell you exactly how I made it. There's a God who sits high. There's a God who looks low. And though I should have lost my mind, he held me up by his light because our faith shines much brighter in darkness. Oh, you know y'all love Christmas. You know you love Christmas. Some of y'all, you just like pastor. When I was a kid, couldn't wait to go see all the different houses that were decorated with lights. But one thing I know, we never looked to see the neighborhoods and the houses with all the Christmas decorations in the daytime. We always did it at night. Why? Because it's so beautiful at night. It's so wonderful to see the lights and how bright they shine at night. And that's the power of the gospel. I don't care how dark it is in your life. Your faith shines brighter at night. Yes, it does. Shine so much brighter. And y'all know I'm telling the truth. Our loyalty deepens. In darkness, we pray longer when it's night. We pray with more passion when it's night. We worship more sincerely when it's night. Nobody has to tell us to go to church when it's night. Ah, we hear God a little bit clearly when it's night. We pause and we stop running from place to place. When it's night, we tend to care for people a little bit better. We're a little bit more loving when it's night. We, we discover that the ones who are really on our side is at nighttime. We discover the witness of God in our lives happens at night. Something happens with our faith when it's nighttime. And God has a way of giving us life even in the dark. I'm even thinking about the gifts that were given to Jesus when those wise men came. We tend to think it's three wise men when, in fact, the text doesn't say what the number of men that came to see, uh, see Jesus. It just identifies three types of gifts, gold, myrrh, and frankincense. And that's cute. It's Christmas. It's, it's an ornamentation to it. But, y'all, can I make it real? They were broke. They needed money. <laughs> 
gold, frankincense, myrrh, because God knew that, listen, you're going to need some traveling money when you go to Egypt. But in the midst of your darkness, I have a way of giving you light so that you can make it to the places I've designated for you. And that's all I'm trying to say. When it gets dark outside, don't think that God is against you. No, you may find that God is on your side in that minute because your faith shines brighter in darkness. Ah, but then Jesus knows how to give us life in the midst of challenging labels. That is, he gives us life to overcome the labels that people try to place on us. Preach, Archery. That's what we see in verse 23. It's a label. Uh, He would be called a Nazarene. Someone said that loneliness is the most desolate word in the human vocabulary of the English language. And I would say rejection is a very close second. Because many times people don't have to say a word and you know whether they accept you or reject you. You can tell by the expression on their face. You can tell by the tone and how they greet you, whether or not they truly accept you or whether they reject you. And, and, and that's a painful experience. And that's what we see in this text. It's a label. It's rejection. They really don't receive Jesus the way he is. Matter of fact, I would say it's a dog whistle. It's a double entendre. On one hand, Nazarene is a reference uh, to the citizens that live in Nazareth. He's a Nazarene. He's from, he's, he's a Dallasite or he's a Plainoite. That's, that's one way of saying it. But another way of saying, you know, Nazarene, it's a hood. It's low down. Jesus grew up in the projects. And you know how folk act there. It's a dog whistle. Uh, matter of fact, Nathaniel tried to help us. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It, it was not a place Uh, to be esteemed. It was not one of the up-and-coming suburbs in Israel. No, it was a place of derision. And, and, And many times, does anybody know labels sting? labels sting and, and we do it in our families. We, we do it in our churches many times. We, we put labels. I, I don't know about you. I can struggle with the things of the past, but sometimes people will put a label over you and, and for whatever reason, it will hold you down for what God has for your life. Labels sting. Some of us still fighting the labels of our childhood unfair labels, labels that we know are not right. The reason why we don't want to go and have holiday celebrations because we got to see the people that won't let you forget what happened. Come on, somebody. But my God is a God that can turn around a label. He can turn around a pain. He can turn around a loss, but he can turn around a label. And in this text, uh, Matthew says what happened to Jesus is what the prophets had predicted in the Old Testament. And it's interesting, if you look up the word Nazarene in the Old Testament, you won't find it. And so many people are scratching their heads. Well, what is Matthew talking about? He says the prophets talked about the Messiah being a Nazarene, someone that had to struggle through labels. What is he talking about? Well, it's a reference, it's a subtle reference to another title of the Messiah in which he's called a branch. Isaiah 11, Jeremiah 23, and Zechariah 8, uh, Zechariah 3, that is, uh, 3 and 8 actually talks about how a branch or a shoot will be, will rise up out of Jesse and, and the Messiah would come from humble means. The meaning is, is that God would take a twig, God would take very, an insignificant individual and make it into something great. You thought it was a branch, but when I get through it, it'll be a sequoia. It will be something great. You think it's nothing, but when I get involved in it, it'll be something. 
something that changes the whole world. And what God says to us, don't worry about the labels people try to put on you. The question is, what is God doing in spite of the label? God can take us from humble means, no matter what has been done to us, and still do a mighty work in our lives. And so a good example for us, we just saw it this past week. And I'm not trying to be political here, but I think it's a good point is the, uh, the uh, candidacy and the win of Raphael Warnock, who just became senator by the vote of the people in the state of Georgia. At the age of 51, he's a state senator in Georgia, y'all. Confederate Georgia. Yes, I said it. I said it. I said it. Because God is real. Yes, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. Because Warnock grew up 11 of 12 children. Both his parents struggled financially. His dad salvaged abandoned cars uh, before he went about preaching on weekends just to make ends meet. His mother worked as a teenager, as a sharecropper, picking cotton and tobacco. And now here the son of a sharecropper is now the senator from the state of Georgia. Why? Because I serve a God that can take a little something and turn it into something great. Is there anybody in here but me that knows God can take the little things and do something significant? Hey! Let me wrap this thing up. He gives us life and losses. Yeah, he gives us life just from living from day to day. He gives us life even when folk try to label us. Don't pay attention to the labels. But he gives us life because can't nobody love us like the Lord. That's where I want to land this. Watch how Jesus turns his name Nazarene. Nazarene also is a hint at the Nazarite vow. If you were a Jew, if you were growing up in the Old Testament times, there were only one class of people that could be priests, and that were the Levites. You, you had to be born in that tribe. If you weren't born a priest, you couldn't serve as a priest. And so what God did, he said, but now there may be some other folk in my, in my, amongst my people that want to dedicate themselves to me like a priest. That's a Nazarite vow. And so it's a word about Jesus and his holiness. Watch this. And yet his ability to connect with unholy. The Bible says that Jesus was a friend of sinners. So on the one hand, he knew how to walk as sinless. But on another hand, he knew how to hang out with sinners. On one hand, he knew how to be holy. But on the other hand, unholy folk loved to hang around him. He had a balance of love. And y'all don't look at me strange. Because the truth is, we ain't always been holy. And yet, in spite of our unholiness, the Holy One of God through Jesus Christ has loved us every single minute of our lives. And that's all that God says to you and I for Christmas. In the way I have loved you, you ought to turn around and love somebody else. You ain't always had it together. You ain't always walked in holiness. You ain't always had it and prayed the way you prayed. But somebody was praying for you. God was gracious to you. God was looking out for you. And if God did all that for you, make sure you do it for somebody else. All I'm simply trying to say, can't nobody love us like God. Can't nobody treat us and be with us like God. And if God has loved us that way, that's how we ought to love.
other people. I'm going to close with this. I'm just going to testify a little bit because I know what God has done for me. And this is my little testimony, y'all. And so about two and a half years ago, felt led to do a study on church history with my noonday Bible study. Church history. We spent about four or five months talking about church history. And just like y'all looking at me, you're like, what in the world can church history teach me about what, about what I got to deal with every single day? That's what I said. I said, Lord, why in the world am I teaching this? Matter of fact, I got halfway through it. I said, Lord, I'm going to put these folk to sleep. <laughs> Talking about these saints and ain'ts <laughs> from yesterday that has little to nothing to do with what you're trying to do. But it ended up being a great class because the truth is you can't divorce what you believe from what you've been through. And your history does inform your faith. And so that was the message that we were trying to bring out about church history. Well, y'all, I, I, I got a call the other day. And the call came from a local Bible institute that asked me to be an adjunct professor on their staff. And y'all, you ain't going to believe the class they asked me to teach. We need somebody to teach church history. And in that moment, God reminded me, you remember when you wanted to quit teaching that class? But because you kept pushing, I opened up a door for you. Is there anybody know that God can open up doors that men close? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Give God your best praise. Somebody say thank you. Somebody say hallelujah. He'll turn it around. My God is a God of life. My God will bless you. My God will heal you. Won't he heal you? Won't he pick you up? That's Christmas. Hey! Hey! Hallelujah. 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 The word is, church, let us be a people of life. Don't be so quick to criticize. Don't be so quick to judge. Be quick to give hope. Be quick to believe in people. Be quick to embrace and accept people. Be quick to love the same way God has loved us. Come on, God, give me something soft. Come on, pull out your Lord's Supper cup. This is Advent. And I, I sense God so in this place today. Ah, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jan. Thank you, praise team. Bless you, Lord. And somebody, that, that's the message. The, the, the hidden truth of Christmas is life. And here's what God wants you to pray about right now as we come to the Lord's Supper. He's asking you, where do you need me to give you life? Because even though we have eternal life, some of us, we got some dead places and dead experiences in our life. And some of us, we feel guilty about it. We feel shame. We feel God is against us. And I'm here to tell you, he wants to give you life. I'm here to tell you where you're broken, where you're beaten down. Some of you, your faith is dying. And God says, I can even give life to your faith. So the question I'm going to put to you today as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, 
Where's God? Where do you need God to give you life? Ask him. Trust him today. And say, Lord, in this Advent season, I need you to give life here. Then my second question, how can you share that life with family, friends that you see? Like Jesus, holy amongst the unholy. Saintly amongst the saintless. Do you have the balance to share with people the love they need because he shared with us that same life? Let's pray and prepare our hearts. Father, we bless you and thank you so much for this moment, this time. I'm so glad you come with life, 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 life. You, you come with life in so many of your people, all of us, we, we need the experience of life again in our broken hearts our broken families some of us is financial some of us lord it's our faith our faith is broken it's broken but god you can take a broken faith a faith almost reduced to nothing and you can do something supernatural w would you speak life right now some somebody's here today lord it's a miracle they even came they didn't even think they could make it to church but you met them impart life today somebody Lord they come their body is broken and they need your healing that was the dominant miracle you did when you walked this earth heal even right now in the name of Jesus but Lord let it not just stop in the body let it go deep down in the soul in the heart in those broken places places that refuse to heal right now impart life like you did in the past and like you continue to do today in Jesus name just pause let the Lord minister to you right where you are